This podcast comes to you from nerdsthegeek.com. All right, everybody good? Everybody good yeah. on water? Snacks? Everybody good on grease? You all lubed up? <laughs> My Armor paint. on? Yeah, paint, sorry. <laughs> quicker, 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 quicker. I can't uh, believe it's not deadly incarceration. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a, I can't believe it's not butter joke? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why did you say it like it was some kind of historical artifact? <laughs> uh, no, just a, like, I, I was is, like, I couldn't tell. I, I can't was... believe it's not butter. Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> <laughs> you remember You remember when you killed a man? Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> but Pepperidge Farm ain't going to keep it to Pepperidge Farm himself. Welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie discussion podcast where four friends get together and make jokes about the movie they just saw. <laughs> I'm your host, Scott Murray, convicted in this can of uh, 52 counts of telling bad jokes. I'm joined today by my friend, Joel Lewis, convicted of 73 counts of making obscure references. <laughs> I'm about to do it again. Bam, bam. Ding, ding, knockout. Bam, bam, knockout. Ding, ding. (laughs) Uh, We are joined by Tim Gerard, convicted of 23 counts of making obscure references to music-based bad jokes. Hello. Yes, that that, that tracks. (laughs) Yeah, see, and then I combined everything and turned it into a bad joke. So we're all living up to type. And the three of us are accompanied today by Zeke Perez, prison psychologist. Oh, that's awfully nice. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're lucky you're not the art teacher, boy. <laughs> I was waiting for my crimes. I don't know. I don't know. Gambling addiction? Probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, for those of you unfamiliar, Movie Mumble is a monthly talk podcast where four of us watch a movie and then talk about it. We take turns picking our films. And there are no rules. We can pick new movies or old movies, foreign or domestic, animated or live action, films we've seen a million times or never seen at all. At the end of each episode, we'll announce what we're watching next month. So you can watch along with us if you'd like. And the general idea here is that we get more out of the things we love, like film, when we share them with people we love, like these uh, lunatics in Are the Asylum with me here. Uh, so far, that's proven to be pretty darn true for a lot of movies. Right now, we're doing a what-if cycle, where we bring Zeke our, well, I don't want to say newest host. I mean, you know, we brought Zeke on partly through. We bring him back to watch some of the films that we watched before he joined us. Uh, this month, we, we each picked one, and then we left it to Zeke to pick one of his own, and he picked Bronson. Uh, so this was originally Joel's pick. I don't know if you want to describe it, Joel, or you, Zeke, or 
you know, we'll do the summary here. We do spoil every film we talk about. And then I'd love if, Zeke, if you'd talk about why you picked this one out of the remaining options. Sure. And do you want to take the summary? Well, I was going to say, remembering uh, Tim's initial reaction of like what the f*** that was, I, I'd be interested to hear what, what your summary of the plot would be. And uh, like, I we're piloting Joel giving you more context for a movie before just showing you to whatever weird thing I'm brought to the podcast. So I'd be really curious to see what, what you came away with, what you thought the plot was. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and you know, I mean, and, and part of it too, I mean, it's hard to like, I feel like plot is usually a very kind of heavy word. It's, you know, it's about a guy who wants to be famous for something and, you know, kind of falls into this. Well, I can be famous for being, you know, the most violent prisoner in Britain, you know, sure. Let's do that. You know? And I think, yeah, I, I definitely realized this time through, and I guess this is also second impression that, you know, I, I, the first time I saw it, yeah, you're kind of, it's, it, there, there are aspects of it that are kind of like surreal. I don't know if that's the right word, but like he's on a stage performing for an audience wearing a tuxedo. There's parts where he's like got half his face painted and he's performing as himself and a woman. And I just, yeah, the first time through, I didn't know what I was seeing and how it was being presented. Um, you know, it was, oh, is this supposed to be like in his mind? And, and then, you know, this time through, it's like that, that doesn't matter. I feel like that's just the director's way of presenting the information. And what clicked for me is watching the first scene or like the opening, it it almost looks like a horror film. You know, it's, it's about a guy in prison, like fighting a bunch of people constantly. And you're like, oh man, this is intense. And this time I just went into it is it's, it's a comedy, you know, like, and I think that's what a lot of this stuff was for to try to, kind of make light of this. Like normally, you know, if you're, you know, if you were telling somebody about, yeah, this guy has been in solitary confinement for like, was it 30 years that he was in of those? Yeah. Like you think that this is sort of commentary on the prison system and how it's, you know, it's, it's meant to abuse people. And then it's like, like he's doing this to himself the whole time, you know? And, and I think that's, that's part of it is that he, you know, yeah. Again, as far as plot, like what happens in this film, except for him, fighting people and then getting into prison and then fighting more people in prison and getting solitary and, you know, just continuing to try to like push himself further. So, I mean, as far as any sort of like narrative or through line, you know, I mean, he, he does kind of bounce in and out of prison and through other prisons and everything. But I mean, that's sort of the, the film as a whole. Uh, I mean, you could, you can dig deeper and kind of talk about, you know, metaphor and things like that. And, 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 and yeah, like some of the ways that things are presented, but, but I think that's part of it too. Like you shouldn't watch this film looking for a plot, you know, you can, you get the plot by kind of reading the description of, of the film, you know, like that's what it is. But I think what's more important. And like you said, the whole idea of, Oh, should Joel kind of present this to people and give some sort of context? I think for me, the context is like, it, it, you know, or one of the things I thought of too, is like, it's, it's about a guy like who, who wanted to create, like, you know, want his life to be one big fight club, basically, you know? And I think that was part of it too, is that it puts the fighting in a different context, you know, a similar way, the way to the way fight club did where, you know, we view fighting as this very violent act that it's usually one person who's stronger than another person and trying to take over that person or two, two people competing against each other for who's stronger. And with fight club, you know, it wasn't about that. And that was one of the things I thought was really cool. And with this, it was kind of almost that too. Like, 
it's almost like he doesn't necessarily want to win the fights he's in, you know, he's not doing it as a way of competition and, and just the, the, the scenarios with which he creates the fights that he finds himself in are, are funny when you're kind of looking at it as him, not looking at him as being a victim, you know? So, so, so anyway, I know I'm going into more than just sort of what's the plot, but I think for me, that was what was important is telling someone the plot of this is not going to prepare them for watching this film, but knowing that, you know, yeah, you're not, you shouldn't go into this feeling sorry for him. This isn't like, you know, the life of David Gale kind of film where you're just like, Oh man, this, this poor guy, but he kind of sacrificed him, his life to kind of make this big point or whatever, you know, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's not your typical sort of prisoner movie or, or an innocent man with Tom Selleck, you know, it's, it's not one of those films, you know, it's like, here's, here's a film about a guy who's like, kind of loves being in prison and, you know, like, like he refers to as being a hotel room, you know, he wants to see all these prisons. He knows which ones he liked, which ones he doesn't like, you know, kind of, and how, how Britain didn't know what to do with him for a while, you know? And, um, but, but again, I think you have to not, not pay too much attention to the, the patchwork way in which the story is told where, you know, we're seeing these scenes of him on stage. Like I, I didn't try to understand why that was being told that way. I just kind of appreciated the, the contrast of seeing the story being told that way versus like kind of seeing him in prison and seeing the physical violence. You know, it's, it's very much this sort of, you know, I think collages, collage of styles of filmmaking. And maybe that ties into him, you know, his, his artwork that he's doing at the end of the film or something like that. So, so yeah. So I think, I think the plot is kind of summarized in one sentence, but it's not the plot that's important. It's the, it, yeah, it's the way you should kind of view this and the way you should, you should have a sense of humor about it and that the, the violence can kind of be brutal, but it's meant to be at least for him. Like he's trying to have fun, you know, he's trying to like, you know, he, he wants, you know, it's not like he's being abused by four prison guards. It's like, you know, the more the merrier to him, you know? And I think that, I didn't know that going in. And, and that was sort of why it was like, uh, am I supposed to be laughing at this? And I also think that's part of why we have those cutaways is to sort of make it seem more lighthearted to give you a break from the, from the violence. But again, if we were supposed to empathize with him, I think it would be kind of disrespectful to have these kind of silly scenes in between. But that, I think that's the whole point is it's like, a, it's a celebration of him, you know, and, and how he kind of, um, chose to live his life and, and, you know, this very unconventional way that he, you know, again, we think of prisons as being like, oh man, it, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of Batman, you know, I'm going to throw myself in some prison, you know, so that I have to like train myself to survive, you know, that type of thing. And so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that we've ever seen prison presented in that way before. And I think that's also part of why it was like confusing for me the first time. I think maybe the closest analog would be Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> He ran into my fist, officer. He ran into my fist ten times. <laughs> Zeke, having having that summary, <laughs> how are you? How are you doing? How did you like this? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, uh, yeah, what Tim said. <laughs> I think his first impression, because I listened back to the, the last time you guys recorded, and his second impression kind of are a sweet spot for how I felt. Um, Cause I did watch it a first time and then I kind of threw it on again to get some notes down and just to have it kind of the second time, just on in the background while I was doing some stuff to think through it a little bit more. And I think doing that helped a lot 
because yeah, the first time I was a little bit taken aback by the tone of it. I think the so going in, I think what I thought the plot was was a, a biopic about a you know criminal. Uh, I thought maybe serial killer, but he's not a serial killer. But I thought maybe a criminal who's imprisoned who is also a bare knuckle brawler uh, was very violent. That I knew. You know, I, like he's a notoriously violent, famous criminal, but I didn't know anything about him. So I kind of went in with that. And I was like, okay, we've got this criminal who's locked up for a long time. So there's going to be maybe some creepy prison jail scenes, but he's also a brawler. So maybe it's just going to be really violent. And then I was just surprised by honestly how bizarre and even comedic it felt. Uh, just it felt very mishmashy. I didn't expect him to be up there dressed like a mime talking about his life. I didn't expect, uh, you know, the, the, the scene, Tim, you mentioned where he's half dressed as himself, half dressed as a nurse and doing the back and forth, you know, turning side to side. And so I was just, I don't know. I expected a much darker, grittier film. Like it was in that first scene where you first get there, you know, the lights are kind of red and black. It's very dim. There's very creepy, almost horror, music playing uh you know he's he's battered and he's just going toe-to-toe with people and that set the tone i was like okay the whole movie's going to be like this it's going to be a very creepy very suspenseful prison movie and then very quickly it's not that and then uh it's very weird to pull a quote from the last time i think joel you said it was very uh monty python-esque and just how it moves quickly through a bunch of different things and i thought that summed it up really well I am glad I, I don't know, this is going to, uh, this is going to be a crime I'm admitting to here. Didn't listen to the episode, uh, of movie mumble before I watched this movie. So I'm glad I didn't because I think going in fresh and having that kind of surprise of what I expected versus what it was, uh, that did help. And then I think watching it again a second time, I was able to appreciate, uh, why it might be shot like that. Right. I mean, it is a, a prisoner who spent so much time in solitary, you know, you can only imagine what his mind works like. And it did feel with all of that information, like the tone fit that pretty well. So it was a roller coaster. I think the first time watching it and the second time watch, watching and letting it marinate and, and like putting it all together. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and the acting is phenomenal. So there's just a lot, there's just a lot going on in here. <laughs> been waiting for you to have seen this movie for a good like 10 years it's been like <laughs> it's kind of it's really cool that we're finally getting to talk about it <laughs> yeah and it's i don't know i mean i would have never guessed i think what it turned out to be i think expecting it to be more just multiple things right what if if it was a boxing in prison movie that would be one thing if it was a here's your typical biopic of a very violent criminal that would be another thing uh, it's neither of those things. So, you know, it, 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 yeah, it was refreshing and, and jarring to watch, I guess. Refreshing and jarring is a really excellent <laughs> pair of adjectives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a jarring in a bunch of ways, but once you're, once you're just being taken along by the current, the little interludes on the stage are really refreshing. <laughs> They're almost friendly, you know, there's, there's sort of a connection. Right. Especially the way Tom Hardy talks. There's this casualness, this like talking over drinks, you know, yeah, here's where, here's the place I robbed, here's what I got away with, right? It's like, oh yeah, you know, sure, I just met this guy, he's telling me, well, I mean, he just got out of jail, all right, sounds good. But it just keeps going. 
and keeps going. I was really glad to come back to this with a fresh take because you kind of already said it, Tim, but I, it took me a while on the first watch to sort of stop trying to grasp onto the purpose of the framing device and to just let it happen. So being able to come back at the film from the start with that perspective was much better. That said, I found that I remembered most of the non-stage parts really well, right, in order. Because it's, it's basically the, the prologue, the asylum, the the place where he gets us the fight with the mailman, leading up to, and then the art teacher, and then the art climax. You know, it was, it's only a few major beats, but that really helps it track because, you know, the bullet-pointed list is a lot, right? Of every fight, every solitary spell, every different facility. So to break it out into those broad swaths was... You know, the fact that that stuck with me so well, even the first time around, when I was sort of resisting what the film wanted to show me for half the time, speaks to how well the film gets through, I think. You know, even even without necessarily grappling with the, the way in which it's presented, the content is really thorough. Not thorough, really, really clear. I'm holding in like 64th reaction <laughs> commentary. Uh, I, it's, I feel like I cheated. I got to pick and watch three films that I feel like I got to pick and watch before. It just the surrealist element in this film is I think the thing that I love most about it. It it's just so dreamy. <laughs> you know, the 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 climax is is surrealist painting become life. You know, like he, he builds a painting in this film. And I, I, I don't know if I, I there is a, a thread of my fandom of films where there's a framing device. I think going back to like reading Heart of Darkness in high school, I like really appreciated the fact that like this is a story being told by somebody on a boat and that you never you don't want to forget that because it, it it has some basis. And I don't know that I've ever when I first watched it, I didn't really think of like the the idea of uh self-deluding or self uh um being a narrator of one's own story and being disingenuous with it but inside his own mind like there's so many layers to like where where is this coming from you spend a lot of time alone quiet what your mind does where it goes how you would present your story how you would invent things to keep yourself sane or or the other way like you invent things and get lost in them and i it just it's it's this acid wave synth pop surrealist drug trip that's violent and funny and whimsical and it, it's it, it has one of the greatest leading man performances I've ever seen like I I however confused you could be by the movie you're just like mesmerized the Hardy just I've never seen a role like that in a movie I've seen a bunch of things like that that like I've seen people do bits and pieces of that throughout a career or you get like certain layers to it, but just, I, I was really verbose the last episode about like him playing it so tightly coiled. He's this spring and it, there's a lot of the over the top acting in it, but I, this time watching it, it's just like the subtleties of the things that he's doing too, or just, he brings it right back to to these extremes and these quiet moments and letting these awkward silences linger and ju sometimes you just hear breath and just like you kind of can feel the cacophony of like the, the world around him and it, it, it's i it's a different kind of acting I, I don't 
I don't know that anybody it's a rare project to get to use every tool in the, the book, you know, like it, it, in the tool shed or whatever. Just, uh, it was, I, I won't ever get sick of watching it. Even when you see the dude in the asylum shitting in his hand, like I, I that that's, that's maybe the moment that I can't defend in it, but it's giving, you know what that place is. And it, it sets the tone for the, the asylum run of that and what those facilities were like. And just, yeah, I, every time it comes up, it's like, here it comes still worth it it's worth every other minute is <laughs> that, that like i yeah so it it's it's so cool to come back to it. uh hardy's performance what did you make of that um no yeah i mean it was incredible uh and was peeking around about it and seeing that you know the the charles bronson also <laughs> approved of it and you know was at first not sure but it was very particular about how he was portrayed and who played him and then just met him and loved him and I think I haven't gotten to watch it yet. I saw on YouTube, there's a reaction video for one of Bronson's cellmates who reacts to the performance and what that was like. And apparently it's just kind of spot on with the mannerisms and how he talks. And um, so I'm interested to dig into more of that and just see. And that was another interesting thing too, to tangent and then come back. But I don't know when I hear, you know, notorious, famous British criminal and there's a biopic on him. I don't know, for whatever reason, my brain thinks, okay, that's somebody from the forties or the fifties or, you know, something older. Right. And, but no, he's a very recent (laughs) criminal, uh, you know, so that was interesting too, to think that to then see it and then say, okay, it's more of a modern day story. And Tom Hardy could not only play the person, but see the person, like look at footage of him, be in contact with him, um, you know, have a phone call or whatever it might be, a visit and and get to know him and then build off of that. And I think I, just everything I t- see Tom Hardy and I, I just love him and he's great uh, at picking up size for a role or um, picking up mannerisms for a role. And he's huge in here and he's, you know, he's got all the facial features down and uh, just there are so many scenes where he just steals it by doing nothing. I know there's one at the end um, where he's got the, uh, he's got something rolled up in his hand and his, his hands are chained together in front of him and like just is gripping onto it. And they're trying to get it from him. He just isn't moving um, just to act with so little action, I guess, or with so little um, spoken word. I mean, he just steals every scene with his physicality and movements like that. And when he speaks and when he's not speaking and when he's yelling and when he's running, I don't know, just all of the things, great performance. Um, yeah, it was really a treat to watch. And I think, like you said, there are other roles I was trying to think of when you said that, like other roles where someone is doing some of these same things, whether it's being whimsical or being physical. Um, and there are snippets, I think, in different performances, but this has so many different types of acting thrown together that I thought it was really impressive. It's funny you you mentioned his ability to act while doing nothing because it makes me think about when he was cast as Bang and we got preview images of that plane on his face and people saying, how is he going to act? Right. Well, I guess they'd never seen Bronson. I mean, neither would <laughs> right. I at the time, but, you know. That's a very good there's point. A, there's an image of, like, there's a, a over-the-shoulder shot and you see his kind of back in this, like, as he's doing, like, fight club stuff out in the world. And they use that pro they on the like the fake uh uh movie trailers for Dark Knight Rises. They used that image like eight hundred times. Like you got used to seeing him at th- that big in terms of size. And that, like 
the second they cast him in anything, I'm like, yep. Like, like after this, I, this is your resume. And I, I said it last episode, like you show this film to any director, they're going to want to work with that guy. You know, like it, it it's, it's wild. There's a great uh, set of promo interviews that Tom Hardy did kind of as this, as part of the press junket for this. And he talks about meeting Bronson in person and it, it was crazy. It's crazy to hear. I'll, I'll say, I think I sent it around last time, but he, he, the memory of Tom Hardy is really interesting to hear him talk about stuff. Cause he remembers every detail, every square foot of the walk into this place, all the levels of security, all this stuff. And he, the way he talks about <laughs> Bronson and how he moves and how, like what he embodied about him is just really, he, at one point he describes his, uh, uh, he's like the, back end of a great white just the way he moved and darted and just unpredictable and just he said he was so so pale from not seeing the sunlight he was so white he was blue he looked like something that had been uh under the ocean and not seen the sun for such a long time so he was like fluorescently pale so just like it was that's a really cool aspect of it too and kind of like the post post post-mortem feeding frenzy of like, what was this about? Who did it doing all of the digging afterwards? Like that, that interview is so cool. Cause you see how Tom works and how observant he is and what, what he kind of took to, to inspire his version of the character. It just, and nobody rocks a harder mustache. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> At one point, uncle Jack said, or the, the girls giving him shit about it. And uncle Jack says, no, you have a what are the uh, uh, spectacular set of set of mustaches? I admire your dedication. <laughs> I, like I that say that to too. strangers. I say that to strangers in the street when they have an excellent mustache. I quote that to them. I admire <laughs> your dedication. Seek. <laughs> I used to admire yours. <laughs> Don't admire my beard only if it's a solo Top Gun mustache. No, yeah. I like I like the beard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will to, settle for the beer. Yeah, I need to focus my dedication on the mustache. <laughs> for our <laughs> listeners, uh, Zeke stored, uh, uh, sported a really a- excellent dirty stash. They don't need to know that. <laughs> no one needs to know that. Um, you mentioned to Zeke, uh, you know, you think of it as being a long time ago, and it's much more modern. But the yeah. film has this absolutely timeless quality to it because so much yeah. of it takes place inside prisons. Yeah, that's you true. see very little of the outside world. And yeah. I mean, to be fair, it doesn't help that Britain sort of suffered a setback after the war, right? Doesn't didn't rationing continue until like the late fifties or something? For a while, like yeah. I mean, it a long time, right? And not to imply that Britain has no culture, right? But just that you know, lots of old buildings and so much about of the many of the markers of the modern world really only came now in the 21st century so many other markers like oh well in the 80s tvs were kind of bigger weren't they than they were in the 60s but like also so what how many people still had old tvs because they didn't care slash spent money on other stuff like there's this sort of blending you know depending on where you are in a country and what people there what kind of money they have or what they they focus on and that sort of thing right so it's not really all that weird to see like anything from within a 30 or 40 year period and it doesn't necessarily guarantee a time period right <laughs> and then in prisons especially right and in britain in britain especially it just 
you have no idea, right? You have no idea what year it is. It was you wild. Just... I was noticing this time with the asylum, that big room that they're in. There, there's cones, safety cones in the middle because the floor is all <laughs> fucked up, and it's this grand, big hall. Uh, just imagine what what manor house or whatever was converted into that big space, and then. I, I never really noticed how bizarre the art studio is. At Like, it's a big staircase into, like, this little tucked-in room. Like, it's like, it, it, it's so strange. It's like not even a room. It, it, it's like under the stairs, storage-y kind of thing. But this grand staircase, I don't know. It's just very strange. But, like, I was thinking about that, too. Like, when you see an asylum, there's usually, like, it's stuck in a certain era, depending on where you are in the world. But it was just really interesting how much character that one had. And we see different prisons and different characterizations of prisons with how it's shot and what what's framed and stuff. Usually intercut with <laughs> a whinging, pained Bronson spewing blood with some comical music behind it. Like it, it was just really fascinating to have that asylum be kind of out of time also. Should we, we go just jump right into favorite scenes before we talk about everything? Like, I, I, I mean... <laughs> yeah it's, i have a feeling we're all gonna have one or two particular yeah it's all the same one <laughs> particular set of scenes yeah well I, go i'd like it. to hear from zeke actually okay. first because yeah. you know before we color his perceptions i want to hear what zeke thinks that's the whole point after all <laughs> just that we get to revisit this but that we get to see it through zeke's eyes i'll try to get some that maybe aren't on the list i don't know i uh, i think one for me was just early, like very early on, um, he's pacing in circles around the cell. Um, and I don't know. I mean, for all I said about what I expected with this to be darker or more violent or whatever, I mean, it did have its fair share of violent scenes and kind of creepy scenes or dark scenes or unsettling scenes. So, you know, it wasn't purely just bizarre comedic. There were those mixed in too. And I think the sell one um you know i think that was one of those i just in a very subtle way right the he's kind of narrating over a good chunk of it but there's a good maybe seven or eight seconds before i don't know it feels like an eternity once you're watching it again and he's just going around and around and around in circles right very well done to show what solitary and what being in that small space could do to someone because you're watching it yourself feeling like wow he's walked around the cell for a very long time. And then he's, you know, he's, he's doing 30 years of jail time. So the 40 seconds felt long to us. Right. And it kind of dives into his mentality there. So I, I like that one a lot as just a very, you know, understated scene. Um, Cause it's partially the focus, but again, he is narrating over it. So, um, and then the other one, I, the, the, the T scene um, I loved a lot. Just the, and it's just so weird. I don't know. And like, serving tea and he's talking funny and then the other guy comes in and is talking even funnier and then uh you know joel quoted it earlier but the the knockout <laughs> ding ding and um you know and then bronson throws his hands up like in a fighting stance and the guy's like oh very impressive and just keeps going um forgot to say he like walks in just singing tea for two it's just a very weird scene liked it a lot very weird i love that it shows th this like the levels of it. it it's like he could go at any second but then he's like completely pleasant in other moments you fancy a couple tea mate just like just the brightest shiniest like what's up mate how you doing what can i get you and then just he just annihilates you two seconds like i love that and i that was mere made me think of 
the moments where he's on stage and he'll go really big smile and then go dead just as neutral soulless nothing behind the eyes from that giant smile right down to no nothing give him zero give him less than zero just oh i love that yeah watching this this time reminded me of when i first started watching game of thrones because when i was like uh, maybe not first watching but after i watched a a little bit of it enough to know what the show was is that every time two people have a conversation i'd be like is one of these people gonna die is one of them gonna kill the other one like you never like there's there was always a tension because like at least one of the two people was like a conniving you know manipulator and you're like oh man is this the point the way this person strikes or is this person as it's gonna surprise you and oh no this person's gonna and that's what was watched like that that tea scene i forgot about that from the first time i had seen it and i'm just like oh my god who is he gonna fuck up in this scene and then nothing happens and you you're just like oh, okay gotta 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 you know talk myself down unwind myself you know and that's that's how i feel like so much of this was is like even when he wasn't fighting anyone you were expecting that fight to come you know like even when he when he goes home with his mom and dad you know after he's been in prison you're just like is he gonna fuck up his dad like i don't know what the fuck's gonna happen here and then and then nothing it's just calm and peaceful and you're like okay all right that's the most stressed out i've seen just walking watching a dude come home to his parents house and hang out in his parents house you know or like he's asking his mom where's my bed like is he gonna fuck his mom up like i just like you, you never know like and then, and then he doesn't. And I think that's part of it too, is like, I guess, you know, going back to the idea of the first time I saw this is like that tension and not knowing how you're supposed to think of him until after it's done. And then you're like, oh, okay. In in some ways he's not such a bad dude because these, these things you kept expecting him to do, it's like, well, of course he's not going to beat the shit out of his mom and dad. That's not what he's about, you know? And, and you kind of learn that going through it. Um, but yeah, that tension is, is there so much of the time. Cause you're like, yeah, at any moment he could just decide like, cause every time he's fought before it comes from nowhere, you know, there's no lead up. It's not like someone starts smart mouthing him and that's why it happens. Like, you know, like the, when the, to, the two police officers come the first time, you know, and they're arresting him, he's just sitting at the table and just like, boom, you know, like, so yeah, I know that's not really his favorite scene material, but that, you know, that, the, that, that conversation kind of reminded me of that is just like the tension of, you know, yeah, the, that, that tea scene is so great, but as you're watching it, you're not like, oh, what a delightful scene. You're like, oh man, he's going to this poor guy. Oh no, here's another guy. He's going to that guy. No, he didn't either of them. Okay. 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 Good. <laughs> I can never remember that character's name, but I love that character so much. He's like a fin stick insect, just the way he moves. <laughs> and he, like with the gloves, him smoking in the gloves and then saying, let's f- is about the coolest. I don't know why I like that so much, but it's just like. <laughs> I, I love that too, that they just kind of, they just kind of see like, Hey, you're the guy, <laughs> you know, like there's that just, it was like, cause I, I thought when they come together, it was his uncle kind of setting it up because, Oh, he knew you were, but like, he just sees him. And it's like, Hey, I know you, you know, like there's this kind of funny kind of like, Oh, it's been a while, you know, I, I served tea that time, you know, like that's what it was. It was just so like casual and like a normal human interaction you would have with someone that you happen to see at a club after you saw them somewhere else, you know? <laughs> I always really liked the the end of the sequence when he's been boxing, right? When he's free. Because he gets out, and the first thing you're thinking, especially in terms of other movies, is that he's going to end up back in the system somehow due to any combination of circumstances, right? Like, yes, maybe decisions he makes, but decisions he makes that were brought to him, 
right? Like, oh yeah, I know a guy and he's involved in this and it'll get me some money and help me start my life again. And then, oh shit, it's a crime. You know, like that whole, you know, prisoners often don't have great ways to reintegrate back into society smoothly. And But instead, he just does it himself <laughs> completely. He just, oh, this boxing is fun. I want to fight more. Hey, can I use fighting to get things to give to people like rings? <laughs> and he just does. Like it's this is something I like. I'm going to apply it to everything in life. And that, I mean, obviously this is real life and not film. So whatever it was is what it would have had to be. They didn't get to write a you know hopelessly tragic you know set of circumstances for him. They just it was his life. But I think you touched on this earlier, Tim. That like so much of this is just he the bed he makes for himself. And sort of doesn't seem to mind in a lot of ways. And I love that because it's early enough in the film, you know, it gets he gets his name, right? And he gets his boxing bit during that sequence. And then it's sort of like he just decides I don't know, right? Like he takes on that new identity, but he hasn't really made it into anything yet. And he decides he's gonna make it into the last section of his old identity. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> there you go. It, it you just made me think of something like this. It, it's almost like a f***ed up Forrest Gump, right? Because like I feel like Forrest Gump happens <laughs> in sections like that too, where it's like, oh, this is the part where he just runs for a long time. Like he just decides on a whim, I'm gonna go run. Like like that's kind of like I feel like how he <laughs> operates in his life. It's just like it's outstanding. I'm gonna give I you a ring. Comparison. <laughs> you don't have a ring. Well, no, I have fighting. How does fighting get you a ring? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, like. If not for a couple of Dr. Peppers, Bronson could have been Forrest Gump. (laughs) (laughs) Run instead of fight. That's all you had to do, Mikey. (laughs) Run, Forrest, run. Shoot, Bronson, shoot. (laughs) Back. (laughs) There's a a little moment that's one of my favorites, and it's from... The, the montage of his violence wasn't wasn't bad it wasn't bad bad but when he he just hauls off and knocks that teacher over and then goes and grabs the desk to throw the second he he's like oh he's done They're like oh, i'm gonna get no he goes and grabs the desk to go and throw it in. that's early on too that's like childhood introduction just throwing desks at teachers that was i'm with you <laughs> it just ramps up so quick because you see that like he has the fight with the lockers and he's punching that kid and you're, it's POV and he's not stopping. He's like, okay, this is, this is a systemic problem. <laughs> like this is not. That was it right there. End of movie. This is the whole film, <laughs> right? Perfectly normal scene. Bronson starts a fight. End of oh. movie. <laughs> he punches a lot of things in that first, like three minutes, four minutes. He's just punching. Just things <laughs> yes <laughs> I mean, he does but you said things in terms of that early tone you were talking about zeke like when you see him and he's he's in that box it's only about as big as he is he's he's throwing punches into the air and then he's into the chain link of the thing and like when i saw that for the first time i was like oh i was this is this is very different this this is more brutal than i was anticipating cuz they they sold me on it like cuz the trailer said a likened to a clockwork orange in that same mm-hmm. kind of hyper violent uh uh kind of softened with the the hyper reality of pop music over the top of it so that that's what got me in the door and then it, like from that moment and the way the music works with that kind of hellish red and the way he's caked, like, I don't know, the gore and what, he's almost gold. And, and like, it's like this, I don't know, unformed, gross, fleshy, monstrous thing. And just the way he just 
really animalistic. And then the next thing you see is like a whimsical fucking interlude. <laughs> I, I I said this on the, the last recording is like, the, I fell in love with it with the, we don't know. We see him from the back when he's inside, is he crying or is he laughing? And then you reveal that he's on the stage. Like it, it, that made it magically realism, you know, or magical realism or like super realism or surrealism for me. It's just like, oh, this is Python shit. I, I am on board. Like that's, it's just that weird. I'm trying to think of other, I don't want to take any more. Tim, what, what do, or Scott, favorite moments? Well, I mean, I said that, that sort of the ending of his, his time of freedom, right? Because gotcha, he, gotcha, gotcha. he chooses his own fate. But then otherwise, the one that I think maybe we were all thinking. Um, with the uh, the the mailman or librarian, you know, the guy with yeah, the librarian, card. yeah, librarian, yeah, fucker. <laughs> but I I also love that not just because it's funny and out of nowhere, but because it really gets to the heart of like he just wanted a fight, and a fight with one person isn't going to be a fight. It's going to be one punch. So he needs a fight with a lot of people and with people who won't leave, which means the guards. But how is he going to get a fight with the guards? He has to make them come to him somehow, right? He can't just go up and punch a guard or the rest of them leave. Like, so he needs a hostage. Like, it's all, the hostage is so irrelevant, right? <laughs> so he's almost like, oh, I'm sorry, it's you. But guess what? Today it's you. You're my, <laughs> my key to this. Because, you know, he, like, like you all mentioned, it's, it's unbreakable. And you really don't know if he's going to actually hurt the hostage but you figure he's probably not going to hurt the hostage because again the hostage is irrelevant he's just the thing he needs to be between the hostage and the guards right and to be between the guards and something they want it doesn't matter what it is i just need to be between so i can put my fists up and fight things and it in addition to just being an entertaining scene to watch it's such a great kind of summary of the whole film which I know we just said that the opening scenes are a summary of the whole film, right? Of normal social interaction, Bronson punches things. Um, but because, again, he, he chose this. He seems to know what he's getting into. He seems to not be concerned about any of the other consequences. Uh, and he's doing whatever it takes to get what he wants, but not to excess, just enough, you know, just... Just a little, like, oh, well, I need a hostage. Okay, it's you today. Here you go. <laughs> right? I love it's that they, they a, ask yeah. him what he wants, and he doesn't yeah. know. He can't, I don't know. And that's the thing. It, it, he, <laughs> right. he either has this, the wherewithal right. and the self-accular knowledge to know, I can't ask for what I want, which is a fight, because that's weird. You right. know, like, but, like, it's also, like, what have you got? Like, he doesn't, it, it doesn't want? exist outside <laughs> right. of it. It's right. just, it's it's the first move in chess. There's no further machinations it's just give me the fight with the pro- the pawn bring it up here let's fight like yeah it, yeah because what he said what they really offer he knows it doesn't matter he knows they're gonna try to stop him they're gonna try to come in and take he just needs that part to happen the rest of it is just like it's in the way right the pleasantries like ah oh, really we have to go through this whole ritual before we get to my fight like oh oh right i forgot they want me to say things to them hmm. uh, i don't know what do you got <laughs> Great. Yeah. And I like how essentially that just becomes a way for him to kind of ramp up the threat by being like, oh, okay, I'm, you know, this, I'm going to kill this guy. You know, it's like, I'm not here to negotiate. You know, I, the only thing, you know, you're, you're trying to come at this in a civil way and I don't want that civility. So I've got to, I've got to, you know, make the threat even bigger. And that kind of ends up just being, yeah, like the, the finally the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay. We're coming in here. We're coming after him. It's like, good. You know, he's got to get them up to his level of frenzy yeah. in a certain yeah. sense. It's like, That's so you're, frenzy. I like that. You need yeah. to not come in here with just security card bull. <laughs> like if you're going to come in here, you're going to need to tame the, the line, yeah. you know? That's why it's so great in that last fight when they're coming down the staircase 
just, and like the, yeah. the summa- I, I love in the last place, the interactions with the warden and how that dynamic works. And, but they just tear the shit out of him in it. Like they, they re- that's, that's the place that would found a response that worked and it's inhumane the way they keep him. And what, with the, I'm always bugged out by the belt around his head, holding his mouth open. Like every time I see that, I just feel it. It like it, the gagging out of it and the way he's just playing it to nothing. And the, the only thing he, like, he has breath enough to say one thing in response, but like, what would you like us to do? Fuck off. Like, <laughs> I, 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 it's just, yeah, it's just really great. So, not directly related, but, uh, well, directly, but indirectly. Tom Hardy played Bronson. He played the Cray twins, yep. right? Um, London's very- legend organized crime people he he apparently played al capone in a movie called capone which yep. i've never heard of until wikipedia told me it's like it. late stages capone like when he's like syphilitic and you, there's mm. an ambiguity about whether he, his mind's going or he's playing everybody it's like when he was on trial it's supposed to be really good yeah. well the point being what famous criminal should he play next who do we want my my first this is I might cut this just because I just think Trump <laughs> he should play Trump <laughs> he'd be a fucking insane Trump <laughs> you imagine that orange nasty sheen see him doing the the dancing yeah <laughs> well no um, he played a bootlegger too in Lawless like Bondurant right I don't know if that's a, a an actual one but yeah that's a good like about that yeah where we have a how many where every single one of those bootlegging family members has a different fake accent. <laughs> no, that was a fun movie. I mean, Bane wasn't obviously is a fake character, right? But again, right, famous criminal of sorts, Venom. I don't know. I mean, if we're sticking with British criminals, he's got to be Jack the Ripper, right? And we've got to have Jack the Ripper putting on a play about his exploits in a like. Theater in the round style. What's that? Th- he also played uh, um, uh, Bill Sykes in a, a BBC Oliver Twist, which is just like proto villain, like proto English villain. He, just great. It's the thing. I don't. I, I don't know that there's a role that comes up in my head that I wouldn't cast him as. You know, like Certainly. put him on the, yeah. the list. Like he, he's he's number one draft pick as far as I'm concerned. I was thinking that too. I was trying to figure out like which criminal does he already look like, but then. No, he can be anybody. just be anything, yeah. yeah. And he'll he'll get there, and he'll pick up the mannerisms and drop or add the weight. Like it's not about you know fitting him into the role. Like he'll make anything fit him. So it's weird watching watching reading through his Wikipedia page because there's so much stuff on here, especially earlier on. You know, before I mean, I guess before Bronson, right? If we that feels more like his breakout here. Black Hawk Down, he's apparently in. <laughs> Star Trek Nemesis. Hey, he plays yeah. the clone of Picard. Right. fucking standing. <laughs> um, John always raves about that that impression, that, that yeah. performance. Band of Brothers, where he looks very different. He's the soldier in episode nine getting on with the German girl. He's in Tinker which, Taylor, which is later. And yeah. Later. Locke is a big one, which is basically all film. Sure. It's all him. That whole movie is just from the dashboard cam of his car as he's driving and it's mm-hmm. just him and it's fucking incredible like that's the thing like in this he did a huge acting exercise with all of these things 
And then he just he picks interesting projects and interesting people to play. Like I feel like he just layer has cake. had yeah layer cake. He plays a, a, a closeted uh, gay uh, British gangster who's in love with the mob boss. Like he just he chooses really interesting roles and he, he just embodies them. Real quick before I I forget about it, but I, I think my favorite scene is leading up into the Broadmoor Asylum, where he's talking to the dean or whoever it is at the asylum he's at currently in makeup and going back and forth. The way he, he plays it and the way the music interacts with that, but also when when they decide to talk about the Broadmoor Asylum years, he's singing over the top of it, and it's yeah. the actual footage. And it, it's in something that's so over the top and excessive and, and larger than life and hyper realistic. I almost for like, I had forgotten that he sings over that footage because the, the, the actual footage being in there, just, it, it cuts through a lot of it. It, it makes it, it, I don't know. It, it grounds it, but it's also this really weird zany way that they're presenting it. So it's the most grounded part of the film, but it's also the most uh, insane, like zany, madcap, strange. And I just, I love, that's the thing. I feel like I'll, most of these different pieces of the film, you blow up, it's the size of the film. It's it's all of those things coming, like all of those weird things intersecting in all of these different points that you can think that this is where the film is. This is what the film is. Like, I, I don't know that there's a lot of films with every piece has that quality to, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I remember watching that part and being like, like, you know, at first I was like, well, why did they choose to use the actual footage? And I think it's because, like, yeah, it is crazier to see the actual footage, whereas if they had recreated it, you're like, okay, this is just Hollywood kind of, like, exaggerating. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, man, like, they're tearing that roof up. <laughs> like, what yeah. the hell? You know? The fire. I've, I had forgotten about the fire. Yeah. yeah. And it's not just yeah. for the damage, right? Millions and millions. Tens of millions of pounds. Tens of millions. Yeah. God, yeah. They, that, they declared him sane. I, that, that's that's what it gets me. But you know, is, it, it strikes me not as them actually declaring him sane, but as them just constantly trying something else. Because hmm. whatever we're doing now isn't working. We've got to do something different. <laughs> you know, at a certain point, why don't we just make him sane again and see what the sane the the sane options that we have for him are if they work? <laughs> because the insane options aren't working, right? It sort of becomes less about being accurate to his condition and more about we have a certain number of things we can do to try to help and or incarcerate people and we're halfway through the damn list <laughs> like you know what throw the rest of them at it well yeah because like i feel like you know prison is supposed to be a deterrent like don't do bad things or you'll go to prison and okay you're in prison well don't do this other bad thing because you'll go in solitary okay i'm already in sol it's like like they, they yeah they ran out of sticks you know so it's like well let's start them down at the bottom again maybe if you throw them out of here and kind of put that fear of oh if i fuck up again i could go back to prison maybe that'll work but like yeah, when you've already had the worst of the worst, like the, there's no more like how do you make someone behave at that point, you know? So it's like I guess we have to give him something to lose again. <laughs> I can't imagine the public out. I mean, like he set an asylum on fire. <laughs> like you don't keep that shit secret. I'm sure the Guardian to the Star had the fucking news story. So and then the next, like I I don't know what the timeline was, but it seemed like. <laughs> pretty quick after that, they declared him safe. So as a British citizen, I'd be like, you're letting the monster out? <laughs> this dude, how do you justify that to me? Like, weird, weird. I'm sure that's the film in terms of, like, the timeline. But for me, it's just, it, 
<laughs> it seems like one minute that happened, the next minute they let him out. <laughs> That's what gives it the, like that and all the transfers, right? Gives it that sense of, we really don't know what to do anymore to me, right? Of just, oh, yeah. well, well, we'll keep trying. You know, to your point, Tim, I, like your options are deterrent, punishment, and rehab. And none of them lead in any direction, right? The deterrence options don't deter him at all. The rehabilitation options don't rehabilitate him at all, right? So I guess we could keep throwing the punishment options, but they don't have anywhere to go. They're at hand, and we're going to run out of them, you know? Like, if only to hope for a change of some kind, do something new. And that is admittedly the one thing that bothers me, that at the end, like, the painting really seems to work up to a point right? There seems to be a real connection there. And that's as close as we come, I think, to a more traditional story about society failing a person, where the painting seems to be bringing him peace, and then it, the painting program goes away, so he goes back to violence. Um, obviously, we don't really know the larger context there, but that's the moment where you think, like, okay, sure, programs come and go, things change. But, like, for this guy, you'd think someone somewhere would have sat up and took notice that, hey, that's the first thing in 30 years it's worked at all. It's got anything different. You know, maybe we want to look at this. Or maybe they just gave up by that point. I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe it's not that simple and things are just lost in the bureaucracy. But uh, it, it really definitely makes the end feel like not necessarily more more sensible or comprehensible, but sadder. Because early in the film, we, we talk, talked about this in my other favorite scene about, you know, the choices are usually his. That you kind of feel sad for this guy about why is he like this? But eventually... He just keeps making the choices and you're just along for the ride of, okay, this is what's next. This is where we're going now. This is the, the emotion. This is the one half of the face makeup. There's the other half. Oh, something different. And at the end, it, it takes you full circle back to that, like, this this train wreck we've been watching. He's also still a person in there somewhere. May not be a person I understand, but he's in there. And it's a great moment of levity because they don't overdo it. They don't beat you over the head with it right? They just return you to chaos, to naked, painted, hardy, and uh, riot police. But it's nice, yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, like, with, with that scene, the thing that seems to set him off is when the, the art, you know, therapist is talking about, like, oh, we can do this. And he, you know, the, yeah. what do you mean, we? You know? And it's like, it. I mean, I, I was trying to kind of get to the core of that, like, you know, is it because you know, Bronson really felt like, oh, this guy is really trying to help me, but then saw, oh no, he's in it for himself. And and why that sort of created such a drastic reaction in him, you know, because it's not like, you know, it's not like Bronson is a sort of selfless person, you know, and it's like, oh, this person should be helping me, but he's just out for himself. And it almost just seemed like, I was like, is it just an excuse? Is it an excuse to kind of flip back and be like, I'm going to, or just his unpredictability, you know, like you never knew what was going to actually set him off. So, and that was it for, for no good reason, you know, like, um, but yeah, it seemed like this was the the first person who had helped him in a long time. And, you know, or maybe, maybe he was just mad about that. Like, Hey, you know, I just, I just realized I've kind of been, you know, this, this chill guy making some drawings instead of kicking a bunch of ass, you know, and that's your fault. You kind of put me in, you know, this was a new cage they found to put me in, you know, or something. And it was just like, you know, it, it was, it was, it was hard. Yeah. It was hard to really put my finger on like, you know, okay. I can see what flipped the switch in him, but I still don't really get why that flipped the switch in him, you know, and then how he kind of directed so much of that at the art therapist and how, you know, how it was kind of like, Oh, 
you know, yeah, you, you want me to use art therapy to heal myself? Well, that's what I'm going to do, you know? And it was like, yeah, it, it, it was really weird, but it was also like, I don't know, again, like, I guess maybe he's not meant to be understood and to be like, oh yeah, if that was me, I would have done the same thing. Like, obviously not, but, but I feel like at least they gave you that, that through line, that sort of, you know, this was the moment that, that it switched. And he was like, yeah, like, you know, I'm going to go back to my old ways now. And, I think, I think that scene is probably my second favorite scene after the, yeah, which I never said. Yes, Scott, you're right. Yeah. The butter scene. That's, that's my favorite. That was both because it's, I feel like the funniest, but also, you know, again, as you said, it kind of summarizes the whole movie. It, that was the scene that made sense after watching all of this and going, what the fuck is this? Like, oh, okay. You know, like, like his motivations become clear in that scene, you know? Um, and I think that's why I like maybe the art scene as a sort of contrast to that, because it, the waters are a little muddier there, you know, like he went without fighting for so long. Why did he all of a sudden want to fight again? You know, but it wasn't about the fight at first. Like it wasn't, you know, with, with the, the librarian, he's just keeping him there until they come to kick his ass. But with the art teacher, he's trying to keep them out. Like he wants to finish his project first, you know, then when he decides, all right, he's had enough, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that, that moment, it was there, there was something he was tr- actually trying to achieve before just kind of launching back into the violence. But so, yeah, so I, I, I like those two. See, I think they kind of pair nicely with each other. But yeah, the fucking, the butter and the, you know, all that is just, it's fucking Who knew you know, butter the, was a weapon? Whose <laughs> body armor? No, it's armor. Just, yeah. Armor. It makes yeah. so much sense. Like, it, I, it just instantly made sense. But it's like, Oh, that's brilliant. That's fucking brilliant. And also really twisted. I, I, this time I was really aware of the silence in like, there's all those awkward pauses where Bronson doesn't answer people right away. And I kept thinking, like, we're really sitting in it. It's like, oh, this is really awkward. It's like, if you're spending 30 years talking to no one, you don't answer right away. I, I don't think you interact with people the same way. And it was really interesting. Like when he, whenever he's out, like he has a real problem with where to go. Like he'll just kind of stand awkwardly until somebody will lead him. Cause that's the only way he's moved is regimented. You have somebody behind you and in front of you leading you wherever you, and there's a lot of great instances of like him being unable to open doors. Like when he gets home to his parents' place, the child locks are on the door. And what it's hilarious. He rocks the whole fucking coop trying to get out of the thing. And mom just <laughs> flicks it open for him. <laughs> There's the same thing when he goes to see Uncle Jack. Like, there's a gate that he just can't get into. So there's, like, a lot of those little... But I, I was just thinking with the um, the art teacher at the end, in terms of, like, loud, he's just talking constantly. And I just kept thinking, like, he, you might be rubbing Bronson the wrong way with what you're saying, but also the frequency with which you're saying it. <laughs> like, just let the man breathe instead of feeling... I mean, <laughs> maybe I should take my own advice here. <laughs> Luckily, none of you are Bronson, but I, I have that gavelly kind of way of interacting with the world. So it's just the whole thing, like uh, Ole, like he's he's learning Spanish and just singing everything. Like he's the perfect dude to piss off Bronson. I feel like. <laughs> I wonder if that's like I know Bronson really liked Tom Hardy's portrayal of himself. I wonder, I don't know, this is, this is a whole tangent, like digging into the subject's mind, but I would imagine that maybe he likes how it's portrayed because of those things too. 
question mark? Like just, yeah, I don't know. I, I can just, the more I sit with it and the more it marinates for me, it does feel like a movie that's made for Bronson, right? Like it's not a typical biopic because it is diving into his mindset, how he's interacting. Like I hadn't really thought about when he's free, how he moves and, and how people might rub him because he's not talked to anybody or how he might be slow to respond. And it just does such a good job of capturing what a person in his predicament might be like. So that's, yeah, I, I really like that as something to think on with it. I love that idea, see, that it's a biopic for the person being biographed. Bio, <laughs> not, yeah, for the subject, right? <laughs> yeah. That's actually phenomenal. Right, because I feel like a lot of times biopics are very fan servicey. I mean, I don't know. I felt weird saying that because you're not going to make a fan service biopic for a criminal who's in prison. You know what I mean? But like, I don't know. I, I do feel like that's the route. Like, let's throw in some Easter eggs. Let's throw in some like famous moments that people will be like, oh, shit, that's the time that so-and-so did the thing. And or cultural you know, touchstones and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And then this one feels more intimate because it's more about the mannerisms and the, uh, I don't know, the inside world versus the outside world. Just all of the little things. It does seem to be more for him than about him, but also it's still about him. I don't know. I'm not him. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just bullshitting here, but. <laughs> it's fascinating too. And I, I guess that Reffin writing the thing, I, I, I don't know that there was much of a conversation about like what content was approved by Bronson. I don't know how that works with Britain's legal system, let alone ours in terms of life rights and all of that stuff. But Tom already had talked about specifically the conversation with Reffin about it being like, we can't, it, we want him to be happy with the portrayal, but we can't let him dictate how we do any of this. So I, I met like a lot of it, the writing comes from Reffin in that way. But I, I, I am curious, like the, the idea of all the world's a stage, but you're locked inside, you know, the, like fame and what access you have to notoriety or any kind of communication with an outside world. And in the way that like a biopic will, will show somebody's influences generationally or their life influenced by, because you're inside, you don't do any of that. There's none of those, the styles don't change and the influences don't change is different gray hotel room, you know, a, a sink toilet. The staff are, are more than happy to, to make your stay as enjoyable as possible. Like it, it, it's really interesting that the biopic of, I mean, what's the life there, right? Like biopic me, it's biography, the story of one's life and the things that happen, how you change. This is a life on, on, up on struts right like it, it it doesn't move it doesn't progress it doesn't grow it's just left there to decay you know in, in in inside so i think it's just an interesting we we do biographies of people who go and do stuff this is somebody who stayed is stuck is incarcerated can't move it's just that's a fascinating and it, again not famous for al capone kind of stuff or massacre or those kinds of, like what he's done he did inside in a prison. So what the the setting is also the subject in that way, which is really fascinating too. And to play off of that, right? Cause you said, it's not about someone who's going to do stuff, but it is focused in on a, on an interesting 
portion are interesting things still, even though he's not out doing that necessarily, because you do get biopics that are, you know, we're going to spend 40% of the movie on their childhood and their rise to fame or whatever. And then this amount on, you know, that fame part, and then this amount on the decline or whatever it might be. Whereas this one, right. It's very quick. Like, I liked punching people as a child. My mom tried to, she didn't give a shit. So I just kept punching people. And then now here I am in, in prison and out of prison. And I'm doing these different things, like seeing the ins and outs of that and just where it focuses on the biopic. Like it doesn't place the emphasis on why he is who he is as much as just him doing different things. That's an interesting aspect of it too. And, and I had a thought, I mean, I just had it, so it, it may crumble and not hold water, but I, 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 as you guys were talking, I was kind of seeing a lot of parallels between him and like influencers, you know, the idea of like, he's like, oh, I was always destined for great things. Like, like you don't do anything that deserves to be noticed for being great. Like you, you haven't cured diseases. You don't, you know, I mean, not you know, at the end, he creates art, but you know, like you're not noticed for being an artist, you, you know, you're not helping the world. You're not contributing to society. You're just like, Oh, a lot of people happen to know about me. And, and you know, the, oh, that idea of like with children, you know, misbehaving for the sake of getting attention. And then you giving them that attention for them misbehaving is just going to teach them to continue to misbehave because that's what gets them attention, you know? So like, I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's kind of wrapped up those things up into it. And, and it was, and again, here's where I'm kind of reaching with the metaphor, but the idea of him being in a cage, it's like, oh, well, that's like, you know, the, the screen of the influencer, you know, where their whole life has to exist within the screen of your phone and their camera that they're, you know, filming in order to get this notoriety for doing nothing in particular of interest, you know, and, you know, whether it's someone just, you know, talking, on a video and people like be, Oh yeah, that's this person. Or like, you know, it also reminded me a little bit of kind of like the, the, the jackass era of people doing like stunts and crazy shit and pranks and stuff like that, you know, and, and that their whole life has to be lived through that camera lens because that's, what's giving them the, the thing they need to find any sort of meaning in their lives, you know? So it's not the same type of prison that we would think about, but it, it is, you know, in a way it is, it is a cell, you know, it's kind of keeping them locked in. Like I, I have to always be filming everything and everything has to be done for the sake of what I am going to post and everything like that. So again, I just thought of that and kind of, you know, reaching a little bit, but uh, you know, maybe there's something there. Tim, you think no, you're better I, than me? You think you're better than us? <laughs> what, what, what is this? I Why was you tearing out everything? <laughs> I'm not tearing it down. I'm just saying, or, or you know. No, I really like that. I, I It made me think of, uh, it's not necessarily a favorite scene, but maybe a favorite quote, because early on, right, he has something, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but he's like, I can't sing, I can't act, but so, so I guess you're running out of options, right? And it's not that that's after he's talking about wanting to be famous and wanting to do something. So it's not like, well, I can't sing and I can't act, so maybe I won't be famous. That's not the end result for him. He's like, well, I'm going to do something that's going to put me in some level of notoriety. Like, I don't, it, I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to do the thing and hear the things that aren't going to be it, but I'm still going to do it. So I feel like that is very much <laughs> an influencer mindset, right? Like I'm going to yeah. be famous. I'm going to get my clicks. I'm going to punch some people. Like we're going to get to that end result. I'll find out how to get there. So yeah, Charles Bronson, the, the original influencer yeah. without TikTok. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking mind blowing. It's very accurate and painful. I'll I'll stop posting my. <laughs> I'll just stop posting. <laughs> well, no, I, I I mean no, I, I, it's not. I'm not 
necessarily so I know saying you're not about just, me or no. I just it, it just I mean, it is. I've been thinking about that lately. It's just like I, I'm I'm going out and doing stuff, and I'm posting about it. But why? What's the point? Like I'm I'm communicating with you guys back home, but like it, it's not. What am I hoping to get out of it? I think is a, another interesting part of it. It's just like, are you well, I, what 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 is the purpose of it? And I think that's an interesting contextualization because like the '90s babies, that whole every the TV generation, everybody saw the magic box as like ordinary people can get up there and they can do stuff and be famous. And I, I feel like just how fame and and creation and those things manifest in different places like can't get act i'm violent so I'll, I'll try and get something that way he, never to be deterred by by a lack of skill you know i think that's interesting too just like whatever that, that will get us famous like the idea of the relationship with fame that way well, and you know, and to be fair, I wasn't necessarily comment, comment, commentating, <laughs> commenting on on uh, like all of social media because I think largely that's just how we communicate now is is through social media visually, especially. I mean, you know, uh, at least with me, I prefer Instagram because it's so focused on the visual. You know, and even though I'm I'm a musician, a musician, like yeah, like like the vi- like I'm a very visual person, and and I understand that, and, and you know, and you can you can convey stuff a lot quicker with a visual you know um but more i guess more my comment yeah is that idea of of being famous for no good reason you know and that that's why i said it, you know influencers specifically like not just every person who's posting stuff because a lot of times it's like oh i want my friends and family to see what i'm up to you know like that that type of thing like that like i said that's just how we communicate largely now but um but yeah, like when, when it's like, I'll be watching something and they're like, Oh, and this, this show is going to feature blah, blah, blah. And they r- rattle off a bunch of names. I'm like, who the fuck are these people? It's like, Oh, they're influencers. Like, like these people are famous just because they have an Instagram account, you know, and, and that, that sort of, again, not just because, but like, they're not, they're not doing anything. Yeah. They're not talented. They're not, they're not able to do stuff. That's like, Ooh, this is why, you know, this, and and I mean, you know, and I think also that's a big part with just the internet in general, you know, like back in the day, if you wrote a book, someone had to agree to like fact check it and go, yes, this is credible. We will publish this. Now any idiot can post anything on the internet and it's just out there for people to believe, you know? So I think, you know, that's another, I think like layer to that or parallel to that is that like, you know, in Bronson's era, yeah, like he got famous because he was getting on the news because of what and in the newspapers because he was doing, you know, someone was kind of publishing that stuff about him. And and I think that's the I guess the 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 difference too now, again, like the the internet being kind of free and open, taking it to that next place is that, you know, it's not about um, or, or I guess, yeah, I think part of when you said something about being on TV, yeah, I feel like not, not just anybody could be on TV. Usually you had to do something worthy, whether you're a comedian or an actor who's playing in a movie or a musician who's doing it. Like you had to do something that people took notice of and said, yes, I am, I am choosing to place you in this airtime. That's the other part of it too. Like, like airtime isn't a thing anymore. Like it's just out there for anyone to grab and do whatever stupid thing they want. But back in the day, someone had to make the decision yes we are going to put you on this show for a half an hour because i think what you have is something to offer to the world you know so i think that's that's you know i guess part of the distinction and also again like what you were saying you're not saying i took some pictures of what i'm up to that should go on tv you know you're, you're again like you're you're trying to communicate with your network of people which i feel like is perfectly normal as opposed to 
you know, I took a picture of my sandwich that should make me famous. And then unfortunately there are people who agree with you and will make you famous because you're posting a picture of a sandwich, which, you know, again, like that, that to me makes as much sense as like, you know, of what Bronson's doing, like, Oh, I'm just going to start fucking people up, you know? And it's, it's framed in a funny way, but when you do think about it, it's like, yeah, he shouldn't be famous for just beating people up all the time. And, 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 Oh, and, and this was something I wanted to mention earlier is that like, what I like about those scenes or anyway, the butter scene, it shows that he's not really a bully, right? He's not trying to pick on the person who's smaller than him. He want, He's punching up, right? He's like, I want to yeah. fight for prison guards, not the little weakling who can't defend himself, you know? And I think that was a big distinction. I, I kept forgetting to make that, but, you know, that what what makes him somewhat of a likable character, you know? Um, and that he, you know, like I said, he doesn't beat up his parents. Anyway, that was a whole other thing. So anyway, so in, in yeah, I didn't mean... Influencers. Yeah, I think Bronson would have started World Star, right? That that's the that's the internet content. Is that? I don't know what that is. <laughs> you don't know World I, Star? I, I can vouch, and I feel like that's the right answer. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're about to send you on a really dark, twisted part of the internet, Tim. <laughs> I don't have the time. That's why I'm not on Reddit. <laughs> Remember, we established I don't know what Reddit is. <laughs> I shouldn't know what Reddit is. That's canonical. <laughs> but so yeah, so anyway, no, you know, I, I don't want people to feel bad because oh, I post up on stuff on the internet. Like, like you should feel bad if you got famous just because you post stuff on the internet, and it's not necessarily good just because you're doing stuff. I guess I mean maybe influencers are hot. Maybe that's why they're influencers. You know, like they're. I feel like they're probably less attractive people doing the same thing things that influencers are doing and not getting famous because they're not hot. Maybe. I don't know. Tim describes the algorithm in detail. (laughs) (laughs) Is that when we make a biopic about Tim, we call it the algorithm and we let the semi-automated AI release 50 versions of it and see which one becomes popular. (laughs) (laughs) But then, then Tim would be, (laughs) he'd be famous for the wrong reasons. (laughs) The influencers and the AI will have won. (laughs) Perfect. Is it time, Joel? It might be. I, I know I already oh, asked I... what criminal should should already play next. So <laughs> sorry, but you need a new one. Well, I, I wanted to ask real quick. Uh, I I saw a lot. I've only seen Shawshank Redemption once, but I I got a real in in like the third act in quotation marks of this film. We get a warden. We get music played over the the PA. We get there, there's something there, a little bit of shared DNA there. I got a little bit. I, I don't know if anybody else felt that. Like as prison movies go, right? Like, the, and we're not dealing with the American prison system, which has a different complex than the British one. But I'm sure the British one is not any better in terms of subjugation of people. But just it, it's interesting to think about where this this sits as a movie about prisons. And Shawshank was kind of the first animal. I guess maybe that that's it's a good leap off point for situational movie recommendations, which I'll put here. It is it is time for another situational movie recommendation. Movies that involve prison. So I I couldn't hear your clap at all or anything. Just I, don't I know, know where it's at. Gonna... It's fine. Okay, great. Sorry. I, where... I only do that for it's. It's stagecraft at this point. I thought I, used I, know, to look at the... I know where it goes. <laughs> look at the sound wave. All right. Have I told this? I'm cutting this, but can I? I I can tell just by looking at the sound wave where I need to cut mouth noises. <laughs> at this point, that's the level of detail I'm at. 
<laughs> I see them in my sleep. <laughs> oh, that's been the worst thing about going back and editing those old ones. Sorry, this is a deviation. But, like, the mouth noises are out. And it's everybody. It's no, like, <laughs> thank you, Zoom, for filtering out most of it nowadays. <laughs> But when we were in the two mic days, man, it's just, it's gross. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've definitely, uh, according to Chris, I've definitely entered the phase of my life where I'm making dad noises now. I just feel like sitting like. <laughs> <laughs> that family guy sketch of just yeah. like dad noises. Yeah. <laughs> Dueling dad noises. So movies yeah, that I, involve prison. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, uh, I mean, I, 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 it's hard to compare because Shawshank, you know, the main character doesn't want to be in prison. And then here, <laughs> he, he prefers to be in prison. <laughs> so that's that's different. Speaking uh, of Family Guy, that should have been like a Family Guy thing where, like, as Andy Dufresne's sneaking out, Bronson's crawling in, like, and they have to cross through <laughs> that same thing. <laughs> I love they that pull back the so poster much. and he's just standing there. <laughs> he just punches him. Yeah. But I do like Shawshank a lot. Um, I mean, the other one that just immediately comes to mind, prison movies, is uh, Green Mile. Mm-hmm. But still different vibes, yeah. But but I don't know. I, I do like the, like you mentioned, the the warden and kind of that third act. I, I feel like in Shawshank, though, the warden's more of a through character. Right. And more and of more an antagonist. Sinister. I guess the other, it's not, a, it's not a movie mumble if I don't plug an Adam Sandler movie, but The Longest Yard. Um with a very antagonistic warden, uh, but there's no football in Bronson. So uh, I don't know. I'm having a hard time. At least not the kind you mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is true. I don't know. This is still a very unique prison movie to me, um, but there are two more or three more prison movies that I like. So submitted for your <laughs> review. Yeah. Those are, those are the main two I was thinking was, yeah, Shawshank and Green Mile. But I also thought, you know, I mentioned it earlier. I don't know if you'd call it a prison movie because the middle of the movie takes place in prison, but, uh, yeah, an innocent man with Tom Selleck. You've probably never seen it or heard of it. I saw it when I was like a kid, which is kind of like looking back. It's like, I probably shouldn't have seen this when I was a kid. Basically what happens is Tom Selleck is at his home. He just gets out of the shower and like these two, like kind of dirty cops, like they're they're I think they're like high on coke or something and they're going after someone and they end up going in the wrong house you know and go into tom Selleck's house and he like comes to his bedroom his bathroom door like people are breaking in my house and he has a hairdryer in his hand and the cops think it's a gun and they like shoot him and then they're like oh fuck if they find out you know they realize it's the wrong person so they plant drugs on him and they're like yeah this is the guy we're looking for he's a drug dealer and he had pulled a gun on us so tom Selleck's character ends up going to prison he was just taking a shower, blow drying his hair in his own home. And he ends up going to prison because of these two dirty cops. And it's, it's the whole thing is about him kind of like trying to navigate surviving prison. And there's one part where there's this one guy who keeps like giving him shit. And, you know, a friend that he makes in prison is like, you're going to have to kill this guy. Like he's going to kill you or you're going to, you know, and the guy teaches him how to make a shiv and how to make it, how to make it thinner, like right at the handle so that he's like, you got to stab him and then break it off so he can't get it out. And then, you know, they stage this whole thing where 
they work with like the cafeteria workers and they, and they put like soap in the guy's food so that he'll get diarrhea and like leave the table during dinner. And then that's when Tom Selleck goes after him and he's like, just going to walk up to this huge dude and just like murder him in the middle of prison. And then it's like, Oh, and then take the handle and you dump it down the, the, the drain of the shower so that they can't find the handle with your fingerprints on it, blah, blah, blah. And like all this stuff plays out. And it works. And it's like, oh, good. Tom Selleck's character isn't going to be killed by this guy. But now he just murdered someone in prison, you know. And then I think eventually he gets out and he's able to go after the two cops, like, somehow to to catch them doing illegal shit and get, you know, arrested. And they end up going to prison in the end. But but it's like, yeah, like, this, this, whole, this guy's whole life is just, like, ruined because he was at home taking a shower. And it's, it's great. And then, you know, again, I saw that when I was probably like 10, maybe, and <laughs> obviously made an impression <laughs> me up. <laughs> I'm sure that could tie into some of my OCD stuff where it's like, oh yeah, I'm not going to take a shower at night because the cops might come in and shoot me and send me to prison for 10 years or whatever. Well, you make me think about what counts as, you know, prison related, right? I mean, the fugitive. Who who had oh, yeah. who do I owe five dollars to? That it was less than thirty seconds into the fucking prompt. <laughs> Categorization. <laughs> but I, I mean, right? I, is there any serious present time in fugitive? Right? Or does Charles before just? I'm thinking fugitive. Fugitive Please. count. It's adjacent. You know, like I mean, Watchmen has the fight and the oh, yeah. flyer. That's great. Both, right. Um, Con Air. The plane crashes and the whole thing takes place outside of it. But like. They're all, you know, imprisoned in a certain way. Batman well, begins. Yeah. Maybe He's in that prison for a while Dark to, to rises. train. Rises, yeah. He's in that prison too, though. <laughs> um, oh, brother, where art thou? We don't ever see a prison. We just see hmm. chain gangs. But... I like it, though. I, I like that choice. Um, I, it occurred to me, you see more of a prison in the Die Another Day opening credits than you do in <laughs> Oh, brother, where art thou? But that's, you know, true. there are a lot of old excuse to say die another day is a recommendation. No, I, um, again, I mean holes, right? The kids in their rehab bit doing the digging. Joel, what was that face? It shouldn't count, but it does. Like I, 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 right, I see, I see what you're saying. Right. <laughs> um, but then, if you want real prison movies that I've seen that involve actual prisons, right? We can go Death Race for crazy, over the top, um, or we could go the platform for, you know, brutal and sci-fi. Ooh, I heard right? that was good, yeah. Mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed it. Or we could go with a film called The Great Raid, which I just caught on television once about the U.S. military and Filipino guerrillas freeing a bunch of prisoners from a Japanese prisoner of war camp in World War II, which I really should nice. actually sit down and watch someday, but certainly enjoyed at the time. And yeah, they're all, you know, legitimately prison related, right? <laughs> um, the prisoner camp, the, the sci-fi prison, and the, the not sci-fi but also fictional prison, right? Yeah. Um, the Rock. Oh, yeah. Has, See, I was uh, going to say The Rock. Yeah. How is that somehow the best Alcatraz related film ever made, right? You'd think there'd be, be something. Because of two reasons <laughs> Michael Bay and Nick Cage. <laughs> to say nothing of Sean fucking Connery and Ed yeah. Harris. um also it's mildly implied that bonnery is playing james bond in that movie (laughs) if you want to talk world war ii um bridge on the river kwai is another sort of i didn't even think of that one as a prison well again i mean they're prisoners but there isn't exactly a prison 
facility right again just that movie is the oldest thing about me i love that movie so much that is such a good movie that's my answer oh, uh, and then google led me to which i still haven't seen the great escape and Stalag 17 as also world war ii related prison movies. it surprises me you haven't seen the great escape it's just one of the many in that you know there are so many movies i need to see right in the blob and things will surface and if they surface at a time when i have access to it and time to watch great you know but if not they fall back into the, the soup. <laughs> so. The other one that I was thinking peripherally, peripherally, that's how you say that word, was Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, it's it's there. It has it's as much, if capital not T, less, capital S. Yeah, less screen time than the Academy Award winning <laughs> performance in that movie. But I'm sorry, isn't it Tango and Cash where they both get locked up and then they have to escape <laughs> for very little? I love Tango and Cash. Just any excuse. No, that, uh, that actually made me think of uh, uh, Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo. Bay. That's where going with that. You made me think of Deadpool too, actually. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're on the same page. Uh, what about you, Zeke? Uh, I'm what gonna else throw, you got? Yeah, I'm gonna throw in Life with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence, Bernie Mac. Oh, uh, I wow. haven't even heard of that. So if you want a jolly hilarious prison time that's your movie <laughs> okay uh rick james has a cameo it's very good it's it's <laughs> hilarious um you don't get hilarious prison movies a lot so um, that's mine um shoot i had one more come back to me the french dispatch Chicago. french Chicago. Yeah. The, the, the one entire <laughs> leaving. he's just he's done he's one really entire down. segment you know it's, it's the 30 segments of the last issue one whole segment is um it's benicio del toro as yeah. a, a prison artist that's so good that <laughs> movie is one of the greatest movies ever made that's well you mentioned one. it earlier just in, a, in an unrelated text conversation joel and it made me look around and realize i didn't own it so i went and bought it today so it's on my mind good purchase yeah i was gonna say chicago too because that was chicago you know, yeah we kicked off with that that's a good you know great prison ran movie. into my knife six or seven times <laughs> i just think of jailhouse rock it's an old one i watched it once and i mean elvis's movies run the gamut of watchable to utterly unwatchable but like that one's iconic like it's got a really cool choreography moment in it mm-hmm. not a jail movie but tangentially related 12 angry men Ooh. And, i like that one if yeah. i really wanted to be a, you know obtuse about it i could say oh the juries could find the, the jury room so they're imprisoned <laughs> for their well they consider imprisonment and society inflicting upon itself no no i don't believe it for a minute but <laughs> um it is you know legal system related and excellent i like how the recommendation segment has just become let's name as many as we can <laughs> Yeah, that's more fun. That's my favorite thing. Too. The whole point is to to have fun here with each other, I'm talking about movies. <laughs> um, is it Alien Three, which is in the prison, or yeah, uh, Resurrection? I think it's three. Who cares? But I just remembered <laughs> that technically there's a prison movie in the Alien. It's one of the ones that was. Is, yeah, I wouldn't watch. It's it. not the first two. <laughs> there you go. I mean, how about? I mean. Ant-Man and the Wasp, he's on House Arrest. Does that count? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Anthony play the drum set? Yeah. That's, that's, that's fun, fun for the whole family. Absolutely. And now, now I'm Googling, and, and like the Lego Batman movie has some great prison sequences when all the, oh, okay. when all the uh, villains are locked up. And then also, 
per Google, uh, Muppets Most Wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Throwing anything that has a jail scene in it, and I will throw that in there. No, I'm thinking the Batman has a jail scene. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What did you do? I mean, even we already talked about Batman Begins, but there's Mm. there's a whole admittedly short but very important bit with um, is it Falcone in Asylum and the Scarecrow comes to visit him and hits him with the gas, right? Ultimate betrayal. God, that movie is good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Shutter Island. I I recently watched that for the first time. That this last this last October, that was I enjoyed the hell out of it. Mm. Knew there was a thing. So I was kind of I went into it, it was like okay something mm. something's not right here so <laughs> that was kind of ruined for but like it's Leo I watched Leo run around with Garof- or, uh, uh, Ruffalo, Ruffalo any day <laughs> I think we killed it yeah that was, <laughs> that was a good one so that was a really good topic <laughs> instead of what are your favorite prison movies it's list all the prison movies <laughs> yeah, well, well I mean as we talked about there aren't too many fully in prison movies yeah. where we got through a good you know six or so right it's it's a lot of prison related. So but that's good. That worked really well. I liked it a lot. Thank you, Joel, for that excellent situational recommendation segment. And thank you, Zeke, for bringing us back Bronson, which was a really great time. As, as Tim and I both said, great to come back at it with fresh eyes. I yeah. I wonder if maybe you'll be revisiting it, Zeke, now that you've seen it once. Oh, that's I a good question. So, We've yeah. been asking Zeke, like, what does it inspire you to watch afterwards or it uh Muppets Most Wanted. <laughs> no i don't know i um i have more tom hardy stuff honestly um yeah i want to see I, legend know. yeah yeah legend. I, yeah i haven't seen that one either yeah what was the bootlegger one is that lawless lawless yeah lawlegger. yeah i've seen that one i'd like to rewatch that because i did enjoy it when i first saw it but yeah i mean just what a performance i mean on it you know he carried that so um gunkirk which isn't not that he's a criminal on that but he yeah. he holds up one third of that movie, one of the right. three segments. Isn't he also? Is that him in uh, the Revenant? Is he? Is he yeah. I think it's someone else. He's okay. Yeah, he's the villain in the Revenant. One of yeah. the villains, <laughs> as <laughs> along with nature and a bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel Locke like if anything is, is really good. L O C H E Locke is okay. It's all him. It that movie is all him, and it's amazing. Nice. Yeah, is that because he he and um, Robert Pattinson, right? They both did two hours of me in a car, right? <laughs> Which and it was right. It was, was a Cosmopolitan or something. Cosmopolis. Cosmopolis. Yes. The, I Which haven't I seen haven't seen either. So I couldn't tell you, but I think of those as the uh, the look at this car interior with a man in it sequence of films, right? <laughs> and then the director of this one did Drive. Drive, like yep. yeah. So oh, seen okay. Drive. I don't know if I'm as eager not a knock against the director but i don't know that i'm gonna go out and watch like the rest of his filmography but the consistency about him is his visual style okay or not even necessarily because i mean drive doesn't really share direct yeah. style with with bronson right but just that right. all of his films are awash in mm. visual purposeful visual effects you know and um, More from yeah. that director, I would definitely recommend Neon Demon. I know oh, Scott, yeah, I was wondering if that was Scott doesn't like the yeah. ending of Neon Demon. I, I, give me the, everything except the last like sixty seconds, and I. <laughs> um, oh no! And then only God forgives. So That's one I haven't came, seen. I have to give that a rewatch because it didn't click for me. But I'm also the first time I sat down to go. Well, I didn't I like that movie. I went. 
wait a second, I can't remember this movie. <laughs> so <laughs> not really. That one has Gosling I in it too. I can't even say I didn't like it. Right? Yeah, also it was his follow-up to Drive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'll mix in. I, you know, I've heard about Neon Demon, so I'd like to check that one out. But yeah, mostly mm-hmm. just going to go on a Tom Hardy tear with this one. So yeah. More hardy. Too yeah. hardy, too fast. <laughs> yeah, the Neon Demon was really great. Maybe I will give that a second look, too. Just grab the grab the ending through a different lens, right? Hmm. Well, it's so... It's such a drastic turn. <laughs> yeah. A bit. I mean, right? That's... Yeah, I'm wondering if I was just so... Sort of had such a single-minded focus on... Hmm what i had thought was going on right that when it takes that turn i was just like no right (laughs) as opposed to like oh we're here now right no (laughs) just like that like i refuse very an honest viewer's experience no Um, but like i you know i I obviously don't get to dictate what the film is doing right so as a watcher um and both of them and drive all just absolutely gorgeous to look at every single frame so I will yeah, quickly well, add that there's some, you know, I, I, so back to my favorite scene of the, the tea scene, that one was very visually beautiful too. It was kind of like rule of thirds from the top, like a bright. nice cool blue. It's almost yeah. blinding compared to the rest of the film. Right. Yeah. So I feel like there are some snippets of that having seen drive, oh, like there's some great visuals in absolutely. this one too. But just that like, like every one of his films has a yeah. potent visual style, but that it isn't necessarily the same across all. The right. Things. Yeah. I do like that. Yeah. I like the symmetry of that scene with the tea card yeah. in the middle and how he moves mm-hmm. into it. And it also made yeah. uh, the attempted murder in the big asylum room. I love how that's framed with the curtains mm. and it's almost, yeah. it's almost Shakespearean, like behind the curtains stabbing mm. Polonius. Like it's, he comes out from behind it. I don't know. I, 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 was projecting Shakespeare on it, which I thought was really cool. Like just that, that, that space also is just a gorgeous space to play with in terms of the scale and the lighting. And also like they turn it into a disco. So there's lighting that's elevated and then you move back and you see the lighting. <laughs> that one, that one fucking guy like at the front who's dancing. <laughs> He's just going for it. <laughs> It's a great that sequence is really poignant and and pointed because it's meant to be hell on earth, but it's also like it, it's these people are also people, right? Like as yeah. Bronson is feeling trapped by this place, it's like these people have nowhere else to go. They're there because they're they're they can't go anywhere else. So I think that's also a really uh, interesting dichotomy in that sequence mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, we did watch Drive as part of the podcast. Zeke, were you with us for that? Yeah. Don't recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Don't okay, start. So yeah. Don't you start another right. retrospective no, cycle? We, <laughs> we talked about that quadrant system video from the YouTube channel, right? Mm-hmm. The, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Every frame of painting, right? And so when you mentioned the thirds of the T cart, yeah, that reminded me of that. Yeah. That's all. Just wanted to make sure we talked about that. But yeah. So yeah. So thank you, Zeke, for bringing us back, Bronson. Thank you, Joel, for bringing it in the first place. Uh, thank you all of you, Tim, Joel, Zeke, for joining me as always on this ridiculous descent into madness that we do every month and thank you listeners for joining us for that that descent as well yeah i don't have a new joke (laughs) that does conclude our what if sequence here where we revisit old films although as i say at the start there are no rules so who knows what will happen (laughs) next but at least for now it looks like we're back into as close as we get to normal with uh normal picking and that brings us back to the top with Joel. What will you be bringing for us next month, sir? 
Okay, so we are revisiting Michelangelo Antonioni. This film oh, is 1966 cool. Blow Up. Um, it's his first English language film. This is set in what was then the present day swinging 60s of London. And it is a it follows a photographer in the middle of the pop art and uh, music and photography movement within the swinging 60s. And he's a photographer that ends up photographing something that he didn't expect. And that's all I'll give you if you want to look into it more. I, I would, I don't know. I, I wouldn't encourage more than that. I went in completely cold and it was really satisfying, but it's really, I, if you remember, we did Red Desert, which was Antonioni. It's that same kind of, he, he's an artist. It's, it's really fascinating what he does in this film and how he captures 1966 in London. He like, it, it's, it's brilliant. And this is, this is so we can watch another film as well. So this is the start of a, a duology discussion of films. And I, it's, it's spectacular. It was really interesting. It's, it's really intriguing as a, a piece of art and a, a film. So really excited to watch that with you guys. Excellent. That sounds wonderful. I'm really excited for that. That's one of the films in my soup that you know, we've talked about, right? It has never, never yet rised out. It's always really satisfying when you pick a film like that. Because it means, ah, oh, yes, finally, I'll get to see it, and they don't have to put in any effort. <laughs> you bring it to me. But yeah, that sounds like it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to more Antonioni. And as always, I always look forward to doing more episodes with you guys. So until then, gentlemen, listeners, good night. Can't pick me down. Y'all going to say bye? <laughs> Golf. <laughs> Would you like some tea, mate? I don't fucking know how he says it. <laughs> okay, we're gonna try that again. Sorry, my my I froze, so that was my was my quicker, oh, quicker, quicker. Yeah. Sign off quicker. quicker sign quicker, off quicker. quicker. Say goodbye quicker. <laughs> yeah, say goodbye quicker. We didn't talk about the full frontal nudity. We don't have to talk about it every time we talk about this movie. Yeah. But my man, no. But can can we though? Yes, let's talk speak, real quick. Oh no, yeah, because the speak least favorite scenes. Because I watched this. You can cut this in wherever you want. You can oh, yeah. throw this I'm going to smack in glasses. I watched this on a plane. Uh, and <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, we're coming back. Like, let me try to get ahead of schedule for the week. I'm going to throw this on on the way back to Denver. Uh, I had to I had to hit the little, you know, little 10-second button multiple times. This was just out. It's out for so many 10-second segments. You know, I sitting by a stranger over here. I'm just trying to get through, <laughs> and that that did not work well. It was just fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. There's just a the whole time, so I missed that part. And so I had that's part of the reason why I watched it a second time, so I could see the <laughs> part because I missed it the first many time. <laughs> like and growing up, I in... saw many inappropriate things on other people's movies on airplanes. <laughs> it's a tradition at this point. I mean, I guess that's you the had... approach I could have gone with, like. Tom Hardy's dick is here. You can watch it or you cannot, but I felt self-conscious, so I had to fast-forward it. So anyway, least favorite scene. You had to go back for the <laughs> cut of the movie. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, the, the <laughs> cut. Snyder cut. The soft cut. Hardy cut. <laughs> See, what's so, funny is, like, he's not cut, <laughs> but there was a cut. <laughs> so.
So right before this, Krista was Zooming with her siblings and she was like, oh, I got to go because Tim's doing a podcast. You know, they do a movie and, and they're like, oh, what movie? And I was kind of like, you know, yelling to them from my computer like, oh, Bronson with so Tom Hardy. It's like, by the way, Tom Hardy's uncircumcised. <laughs> they were just like, cool. They're like, I forget who was. I think Krista was like, oh, it should be on his IMDb page or something like that. That should be your, your resume. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like it adds to the performance. Because the man is that scary with the <laughs> just hanging. And he, he he's he's in the uh, uh, statue of David. He's got David. He's not impressing nobody. He's not growing, showing. He's just there. It's there. And the man is the most terrifying man, that vulnerable and that naked. All he needs is a layer of butter. And he is the most <laughs> confident, violent, scary man in the world. <laughs> you can't act that. <laughs> Just out. Although, yeah, I I was thinking later, I was like, well, is Tom Hardy actually uncircumcised or is it that Bronson's uncircumcised and they had to use prosthetic foreskin to accurately recreate it? Did you see that episode of Friends where Joey (laughs) gets, he tells the casting director that he's. (laughs) Krista just said that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Joel is saying, yeah, like, oh, it's a Friends episode just as he's. Because Delhi meets. (laughs) Monica is a chef, so she tries to find a way to do it. And there's like a fucking toothpick and stuff. This assembly. He goes to the call and he takes it off, and whatever they put on falls off. Oh, God. That show is not a complete wash. There's some gems in there. Okay, well, on, on yeah. that discussion, we'll yeah. cut it here. <laughs> cut the uncut. Scott, <laughs> will you give us a clean out here at the here at the end of the podcast? Yeah. Where do you want me to start from? <laughs> Pick a spot. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Movie Mall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just go well, back. And, uh, well, until we get transferred back into each other's cell blocks, good night. Bye. 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 Movie Mumble comes to you from nerdsthatgeek.com. Visit nerdsthatgeek.com for all things Movie Mumble. Movie Mumble is hosted by Scott Murray, Joel Lewis, Tim Gerard, and Zeke Perez. The Movie Mumble theme song and all its variations were composed by Tim Gerard. The situational recommendation theme was composed by Joel Lewis, Scott Murray, and Tim Gerard, reluctantly. This episode of the Movie Mumble podcast was edited by Joel Lewis. God damn it. <laughs> I had that. It was been unmuted for so long. How? We've been trying. We went to no. uncircumcised to come back for a clean end. And you just uh, muted all over. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Let's try it one more time. Let's do it again. <laughs>